Welcome to The Wind Down, an afternoon podcast where two techie blokes sit down over a bowl of wine and chat about what's happening in the world of tech. Enjoy while Scott and Nick open up about their week in technology. Well, ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to The Wind Down. I'm Nick Bojard and I'm here with Scott. And? Stephen. <laughs> Excellent. And today we're talking about something that killed the cat. We're going to talk about curiosity, but before we do that, Scott, where are we? What are we drinking? Okay. Well, pending what happened last week, we are now at the, <laughs> the Newport Arms. It's uh, the top of the northern beaches for Sydney. Um, when the, uh, I guess when it was all uh, COVID lockdown, this is a very popular place at the time. <laughs> not, not for us, from the southern northern well, beaches, we couldn't even come well, up there here. there you go. There you go. Um, <laughs> So uh, today we've got something different, a lot better than we managed to choose last week. <laughs> uh, Zima Estate, it's a 2016 Cab Sav. Uh, this comes from the uh, Kutawara region, so generally Kutawara Cab Sav, you can sort of just try your first attempt at growing and producing that, and it's pretty good. Cool. Um, so yes, that's the, uh, the lovely wine we have today. I'll try it before we start. Yes. Already done it. It's we nice. did, we, we actually Oh, that's all right, it. isn't it? Yes. Anyway, and, and we have Stephen. Stephen, introduce yourself. Um, hi, it's Stephen Parker. I live just up the road from here in God's country. Glad the rest of you uh, can enjoy the benefits of this beautiful place with this conversation we're going to have today. And in terms of naming of where we are, I know it's not the Newport Arms, but I'm Correct. not sure if it's the Newport or the Arms. I think I, it's I, the Newport I, yes. now. I think, I think, think Merivale have changed it. change all the time. <laughs> but it is one of the oldest establishments on the top of the northern beaches that was able to open on Sundays because it did have residential in the good old days that you needed to have residential to be open on, on Sunday. Excellent. I remember bringing the kids here when they had playgrounds and stuff outside. Now they yeah. don't really do that anymore, do they? So they do that. They take the Newport Arms, they make it the Newport. They take the Collaroy Hotel, they make it the Collaroy. That's the thing, isn't it? It's just making life nice and simple and short. It is, it is. Anyway, talking about simple and short, we've now only got 28 minutes left in our podcast, so <laughs> let's dive in. So, curiosity is what we're talking about today. So, Scott and I are in IT, Stephen, you used to be in IT, and now you're in education. What happened? Well, um, I guess COVID landed. I, just as a side job, I'd um, been sitting on a board of a, um, a charitable organisation um, and asking lots of questions mm. as board members should do, being curious. And the uh, chairman of the board said, Stephen, I'm, um, I'm the dean of a private university college. Uh, we have an opportunity in the innovation and entrepreneurship teaching space. Would you like to come and do a course? So I said, well, love to. That grew a bit, grew a bit, and then COVID landed, as we all know, mm. and commercial world went a little bit different, especially for consultants. And the very skills that maybe some people see as a disadvantage in me, I talk quite a lot, suddenly became <laughs> a huge asset when you're having to stand in front of students for three hours at a time. And therefore, you know, the classic thing, give somebody the job that's perfect for their deficiencies. If you talk too much, give them a job where they need to talk. If you need them to be quiet, don't give that job to that person. Anyway, so I'm now um, teaching across four courses from foundations to social entrepreneurship, uh, at students at both bachelor and business and MBA level. Cool. Well, you're a perfect person to have on the wind yes. down because we can all talk. So, so that's excellent. So, so I'm curious. There you go. There's oh, a there segue, isn't it? So, so 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting in our world. So, you know, my background is I didn't go to university. I've been coding since I was seven years old. I did a bunch of industry certifications and I have a career and I've been doing years in the industry. Um, yet my wife is now doing a comp sci degree. And yet we've got a, you know, a junior in the company who's doing some industry certs and growing that way. And I know there's, there's CompTIA and there's unis and I believe there's still TAFE, at least in WA there is. I've got to use, I've got to talk, talk about WA. Do you know in the WA Parliament there's more parliamentarians called Lisa than there are Liberal Party members sitting? So what, there's two of them? There's three Lisas. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And two Liberals. So it's fact of the day. Anyway, so so and yeah, I've I've been involved in yeah, adult education, yeah, at least in the IT space, and we've spoken on stage together. But but talk about how, how we see it. Scott, I'll start with you. Ooh. From getting people into the business, what are you looking for into are you looking for a degree? Are you looking for a cert for? Are you what are you looking for and then how do you get people upskilled? So um many years ago I used to be at IBM, uh, many, many years ago. And strangely enough Yes. I never uh, did, although never my did. uncle you was passed. on the PC team. Oh, there you go. Okay. The first PC. A politically correct uncle. Okay. Yeah. So, um, he will please you um, as well. Anyway, moving on. And I used to work with a lot of people who had nothing to do with IT in their background. They were pharmacists, they were engineers, they were business people, and they all actually performed technical roles. And the trick was can you find someone with the ability to learn? who can look at a problem and apply logic to solving it. Mm -hmm. And it didn't really matter where they came from. If they had the mindset, it didn't really matter what the problem was. They could work out the answer. Well, just after that, my uncle, um, way back in the sort of late 60s, early 70s, when the coal board in the UK was implementing big, you know, big, the old big IBM mainframes and printers the size of a room. It would have been ICL back there because that was the government IT well, company, if I remember rightly. One way or another, what it, when we were talking about <laughs> recruitment, he was saying a lot of the people who he got were people who'd come from art backgrounds, Ooh. music backgrounds. Because whilst program itself has very strict rules, the same thing can be said for music. There's a set yep. of... And we're going to pause right That's there. right, we'll pause right <laughs> there. Because lunch has been very quick. Okay, so welcome back to the wind down. While you weren't looking, we were having lunch. Um, and because we had lunch, yes, Stephen has two glasses instead of one. Um, but Scott, what's the second wine we're drinking? Oh, oh this, this appeared during lunch. It's a lovely, uh, uh, it's a Rockford actually. It's a, a 2017, so the, the, the current um, Grenage Mercado Shiraz. It's, um, it's actually quite, it's young, but it's actually quite good. I don't mind it at all. We can give it a thumbs up. Excellent. Yeah, brilliant. So we were talking with Stephen. Yes, we were talking just before we, uh, we interrupted for lunch about you know, the sort of things we're looking for in people. And I started telling the story about my uncle from the uh, late 60s, early 70s at the Cold Board in the UK. And uh, obviously at the time there weren't lots of people who were doing IT degrees. So when he was hiring people for programming roles, he was looking for people who understood structure, that there were a limited number of things you had in your toolkit, but also then had the creativity to solve problems with this limited toolkit. And he was saying one of the, some of the best people he got were people from a music background. They had a limited number of notes to play with, yeah. but ultimately the beauty of music, wow, you can create anything. So, so you're saying it's... IT people are creative. Be very careful here, because oh. oh, yeah, I've, I've seen some very creative solutions. Yeah, I'm sure you <laughs> I, think, I think the point is in any industry, but certainly in the IT industry, we potentially get pigeonholed for being very geeky, but actually there are a hundred millions of ways to skin the cat yep. to bring yes. back to our cat analogy and curiosity a million ways to skin the cat how you use code is very structured on the one hand 
but the business solutions you create with it are almost unlimited in both good and bad solutions. Mm. Really good business problems can be solved really badly, and sometimes those incredibly complex solutions that you see, and we were talking one during the break, I won't mention any names, but we were talking, brilliantly complicated, mm. and you think the brains behind that to create such a level of complexity which is completely unnecessary. Yeah, you know, a, a group of very smart people guided by some wisdom could produce some outstanding results. It's when the smart people themselves try to solve something, it becomes this thing that I can win a technical award for this, but then you look at the business version of it and say, what is that? Yeah, absolutely so, brilliant, but what business problem is it yes. actually solving? Yes. So, so commercially in the managed services world, and I'll talk about type of people we like to hire in development, but in managed services, in infrastructure, in you know, routers and switches and yes. networks, what type of people would you like to hire? So what ones that have the technical aptitude to solve problems yep. and have a desire to learn? Because we okay. can teach them anything and they'll pick it up and they'll be able to work out how it's supposed to work and then when it doesn't, oh, hang on, it's supposed to do this, I can just follow this through and work it out. Yep. So I think it's the same in development, although I do like some maths. I'm, maths is no, handy. Just, even, yeah. even good HSC Maths is good enough, but yeah. some algebra is handy. If you can't do algebra, you're going to struggle in programming. It's not actually the maths, though. You're after problem solving, because maths is problem solving. It's actually the yes. problem solving ability. Yes. And I think for me, that's going back to that sort of curiosity point we said at the beginning is that clearly in any role, there's core skills. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're an accountant, you need to understand the fundamentals of accounting. If you're a nuclear physicist, you do need to understand yes. roughly how interactions oh. work. And if you're a programmer, you need to understand how code works. But the curiosity bit that says, well, why are we doing it like that? Why are we programming COBOL? Mm -hmm. Is there a better way of doing it? Could we do it in a... No and that's going on all the time. And I know, I don't know if you're going to show this later on. If you're not, it's going to be another one. But yeah, Nick's got a great big thing over there with a VR headset in it. Ooh. Right now, today, is it ubiquitously used? No. But from a curiosity perspective, how could we use it? Yep. There's no point trying to implement it if there's no business value. But if you're not curious to start with to see possible solutions, and you're not curious to see where customers might want to solve problems that aren't currently being solved, you'll never put the two together, create opportunity and entrepreneurship. So, so look at it this way. You mentioned nuclear physics in there. Nuclear physics, you get one go to get it right. Because in theory, if you Ooh, don't, no, no, I think I think you uh, you, 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 you you now you're doing the COVID thing, right? You're ah. saying because the, the mistake people made with COVID was they said you're either fine or you die, and there's all these right. shades of grey okay. in the middle. So we had some some friends. We had um, a friend. He got COVID. He was sick for three months, and then he got better and got a brain aneurysm that they said came from COVID. Yeah. So so there's and he didn't die, so he's not a death statistic. Where how do we record those stats? Yeah. So. As a nuclear physicist, there's a whole bunch of stuff you could probably get wrong, and it's only low-level radiation, so it'd be fine. But this is my favourite one: correlation does not equal causation. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay, very true. Very true. In fact, I was just mucking around today doing some Power BI stuff on the virus reporting database from the US, VAERS, and it said, "As you do, as you do, and as you download it, it says nothing in here equals causation, <laughs> and you have to sign for that." So, yeah. So yeah, I, I think there's lots of opportunities when we're looking at hiring. Yes, you need mm. core skills, yep. but then you're looking for that extra. And I guess that's why you look at any recruitment sort of discussions at the moment. It's all about the soft skills. Mm. Yep. And I can see, having been on education with Nick in the commercial world, in other words, standing on stage trying to explain to people that these new things were happening, 
I mean, 10 years ago, Nick and I on stage saying, the cloud's coming, it's going to be amazing. How many people think it's good and has got value? Sort of, maybe 10% of the hands went up. so funny. Because they couldn't see the new business model and they weren't curious enough to look. So you, you do university teaching and lecturing. When I look at the current university programs in relation to IT in particular, I'm not sure I'm seeing, hey, those are the key skills we need. I'm seeing those are the key skills we may have needed five, ten years ago. And, and that's and, probably, and I have to be very careful here, because obviously yes. somebody well, might read, watch this video. Who knows? Well, um, that would be good, because yeah. nobody normally does. <laughs> Ooh, so, a viewer. Controversy. Actually, controversy. Do you remember the, uh, the bot that I, Microsoft had to oh, stop? Oh, yes. yes because yes, they yes. set the rules as make yourself popular, yes. but they didn't define what popular meant. So the bot started publishing really inflammatory articles, <laughs> which, of course, made it incredibly popular. Yes. And they had to cut it down, shut it down really quickly and demonstrated a little aside there that if you're going to do things like that, machine learning and AI, be very careful about how you set the rules because we don't want to get to kind of Skynet yes. and Terminator yes. where it decides the best way to protect humanity is to, oh, kill us. Kill us, yeah. Well, well that's why we never ask an AI to solve global warming because you, they'll kill all the humans and it'll all be done. So anyway, back to your question, yes. yeah. I think one of the things that surprised me was I'd always thought of, and I think there definitely are places in universities Ooh. that are, that university was the bleeding edge. And yet I've gone in as guest lecturers to IT courses, mm -hmm. and you know, it's like, okay, well, what do, my question is, what did you, what have you been doing this term? Oh, we've learned about how to set up a web server using the LAMP stack. It's like, okay, so this isn't bleeding edge here. This is kind of like minimum mm. requirements for doing that. Okay, um, and what are you doing about other areas? Nothing, nothing about the leading edge. And therefore, universities, whilst in some places, absolutely are breaking all the rules, yes. doing the most incredible research on the bleeding, bleeding edge. Unfortunately, I think in education, it's behind. And it doesn't matter whether it's IT or accounting or marketing. Mm. Um, all of this stuff, they're trying to catch up rather than lead. And that's, mm. that's quite scary, especially when degrees now are, for a lot of students, almost a tick box. Mm. You've got to have a degree. Oh. to get a job. You can't even get the interview unless you've got the tick box. Yes, I think, I think our industry, now if you see what yes. Google and Microsoft oh. are doing, they've released their own courses um, that take about six months to do, so they're not tiny things. And for an entry-level job in any of those organisations, they now won't take graduates. You have to have done their courseware. Yeah. Yeah. So you can do a degree as well, that's fine, but it doesn't give you preferential treatment. So when you've got the you know, the, the majors in the, the blue chips in an industry mm. turning around and saying, we're concerned because we're now becoming less like research and development and more like, you know, dare I say, a, a, a trade. Mm. And, and the IT industry is now a trade. It's not really yeah, that exciting. That maybe universities aren't the right sort of places to do those learnings. Maybe that's more back to... Well, that's probably back to Scott's point, that when the industry is realising that the universities are putting IT students out who are essentially people who've been taught how to drive a car rather than how to actually do the engineering under the bonnet. Ooh. You know, when we put kids through school, I use that analogy as sort of like, just because you can drive a car doesn't mean you're a car mechanic. Just because you can use Excel doesn't mean you're a person who can do IT. And so we're putting people out of universities with these minimum skills. And when organisations like Microsoft say, look, this is not good enough, we're going to have to do our own thing, then you know, we maybe have to think about how education needs to keep up somehow. And that's where we come back to the thing that they're not teaching them is all the soft skills. Yep. 
So I think the core competency. So these not soft. you're right. These technical trainings don't teach the soft skills. They're expected to have that. Mm. Um, but there's a million places you can get technical skills, mm. and, and all of it's free. And that, and that's the ah. new interesting thing. Yeah, you know, and it's not that new anymore. But I do a load of courses regularly on fairly complex mm. subjects with MIT and Stanford and those guys. But because I don't want the piece of paper at the end of it saying you got the credit because I don't care, um, it's free. That's, that's got to be competing against what we're doing in, in our local well, education sector. What, is, what does an average degree cost these days? It's 20 grand a year, yeah. roughly. So yeah. three, four years, yeah. 80K. So say three years on an average, maybe four years for a, an advanced or an honours sort of level, but you're talking 60 grand plus. Yep. You can get a little bit under. I've looked at this recently, and even the, the just the basic art style Course, it's not a good way to explain arts, um, but in, um, in, in, in <laughs> it's got an ology, so it must be okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in some of the unis now, where they're having trouble getting people to go into, that's nearly fifty grand, and that's the cost to the student. Yep. Whether it's you're paying it or whether it's in your um, hex, you're still yeah, paying your hex equivalent. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's that's the thing. So why is it that Google and IBM will say we don't want you to spend fifty grand on your education and learn all that over a number of years? Go on this online course, it looks like it's going to cost 50 bucks. They'll, they'll also say if you're a job seeker, yes. so you're looking for a job, it's $26. Yes. Now, now, for people who actually want to do it out of interest, this is a bit more expensive because there's a lot of content and stuff. But it's still, for mm. yeah, a kid mm. out of school, 26 bucks, six months later, you, you're sitting in an interview with Google with the right qualifications to have a conversation mm. there. And then from there, as you know, in those big organizations, sky's the limit. Yeah. But you put four years of Google on your resume, who's not going to hire you? Mm. And I've seen they've done they've done mm -hmm. IT service desks like IT support. Now they're bringing in project management yep. and data. Yep. Which is interesting. Now project management, I would have thought and IT. I sort of get because it is a very what you learn today is out of date in a couple of years. Sort of very tight Pro time frame. Project, project management, management changes every twenty years, right? So I was probably going to say longer, but I get this new tw modern. Twenty years ago, we that. started doing agile, so yes. I'll say once every twenty years. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's just it. It's a much more stable. You learn those skills, you practice them every day, yep. and you're pretty much good for quite a while. Uh, so data on the project management, one, it's interesting. I um, I mm. ended up supporting another guy to do a project management course at one of the colleges I lecture at, and he was very much the sort of like the science of project management, and his historical course right. had been very much the science of and how you track everything and you do the maths and the statistical probability of will you hit a certain time and Monaco rules and all sorts of stuff. But the feedback was that the course was missing a little bit of the, say, the human element. And so well, I came like and how helped. to manage a project. Well, like how you manage the human <laughs> yeah, beings on a project, the and, the project and the whole yes. sort of, you know, forming, norming, storming sort yeah, of process yeah. of saying, what do we do? And the, norm, the standard way of running the group projects on these courses is you keep you know, four or five people in the team. So I suggested, well, why don't we create teams of ten? And they went, oh, but that'll be really difficult when we get to the end presentation because they'll be like, you know, a couple of minutes each. And I said, yeah, but surely the point is they need to understand they're no longer working in a group of three mates. Yes. They're yep. in a group of ten people and there will be conflict. Yes. And they'll have to resolve it. The challenge for us as the lecturers, we're going to have to nudge them along the way instead of just leaving them to their own devices at the end. We'll actually have to be the program manager across all these projects to look in and watch and go, I don't see you having a meeting last week. Could you please have a meeting and minute it? I'm curious about why these people didn't turn up. So yep. just that act of the soft skills, even in something as concrete as 
say project management, which can be seen as very scientific, is huge human skills. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm involved in a, in a non-profit as well, and we actually got hold of some uh, university uh, students uh, a little while ago um, as part of their curriculum to help out and to you know, get some, uh, solve a real-world real, real world problem within a non-profit. Mm -hmm. And we gave, we gave them something to focus on. And it was interesting that there were multiple groups, and after a couple of weeks, I was sending out a message saying, look, when are these people going to contact us? And they've got a time frame here. At which point I found out that my group was now the last, because everyone else was off and running and they've had meetings. They were, oh, okay, well, I'll wait for them to... Four weeks later, I get this little, hey, can we talk about this? Sure, not a problem. We have our initial discussion, we go through all the, here's, okay, you're after this, this is where we are, this is where we are looking, here's the sort of stuff, look here and here, maybe talk to these people, find these sorts of organisations, blah, 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 and let me know when you sort of progressed it a bit, and let's go through what you produced, and let's find out, you know, we'll give you some ideas about how it's going, and blah. Went right to the end, four days off before it was due, and they had to present. They've done we, nothing. Can, can we have a meeting? <laughs> <laughs> and I was, Okay, um, sure, but just realise there's probably not much you're going to be able to complete it. And yet they did an all-nighter or something, crushed it all together, there's four of them in this group, and pulled together this presentation, which was, ooh, okay. <laughs> I don't know, it's interesting. It's, it's funny, isn't it? Because there's some projects you just can't do on Sunday no, night before your homework's right. due. I believe. I haven't yet found one, but I'm <laughs> yeah. sure there is one. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I'm trying. There was a, there's a YouTube video which I can't remember of a TED talk, and there's a guy who's really inspirational, and he takes this whole story about how he went to Harvard and, and he never did the work, and he did this, and he tells this whole story about he left it to the last minute, he left it to the last minute, and then on the day he did this massive all nighter, 24 hours a day, and then he got a phone call the following day after he submitted from the dean asking him to come to his office, and he says, I'm walking there, and I'm thinking, he's going to say to me. This is terrible, this is terrible, this is terrible. And then I walked in and the dean turned around to me and said, my God, this is the best I've ever, ever seen. And he went, really? And the dean went, no, it's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just brilliant. This guy talking about you know, entrepreneurship and everything on his TED Talk absolutely creased the audience up and me. <laughs> That's awesome. So we're coming up to the end of our time, as we normally do on these types of things, because I've been watching it and all sorts of stuff. So. So curiosity is super important. I think we've learned that. Education is potentially in our industry, not what we'd all like it to be. So if yeah, someone's listening to this and they want to hire people or someone's listening to this and they aspire to work in the industry, the two types, Scott, what would be your advice? So two answers. It's not about the specific technical skills that you may know. That's one part of it. It's more about can you produce a result? Can you solve a problem? Can you work with others to work out what the issue is and then look at the technology and solutions involved? And if you're the specialist in that little area, that's great, you may be able to solve it. Otherwise, how do you work with others to produce an outcome fairly efficiently? And that's hard. The second thing is, just because you may go online and do a quick one-week course on this new topic doesn't mean you're actually worth a seven-figure salary the next day. You need to be realistic about what your salary expectations are and what you're bound to find in the industry because there's too many people jumping at cash only to find out that they're running into jobs really well, uh, ill-equipped to be able to service them and it's, it's hurting them and it's hurting the companies they're going into. Yep. So. Cool. Sam? 
So I come back to this, uh, I'll actually reference a survey that was done by SurveyMonkey, where they went and asked a whole load of their sort of clients, um, when you look at the things that you've been doing that's helped you get through COVID, what are the things you would put at the top of the list? And I'm sure if you go online and you do a search for SurveyMonkey, curiosity, agility, you'll find the report. But the overwhelming conclusion was organisations who had both agility and curiosity we're going to be able to survive. Agility to be able to flex to the new needs of an, any changing world, but the curiosity to actually give that organisation something to do. It's no good being incredibly flexible if you're not doing anything new, and it's no good being incredibly curious if you haven't got an organisation that can take that on board. That then comes back down to who do you hire? Of course you've got to have the core skills in any industry, but if you want people who are going to be the leaders of your business into the future, or even the people who are contributing, They've got to be willing to be flexible and take on new roles, but they've also got to have that curiosity that allows them to see not just new technical ways of solving things, because that's great, lovely, geeky, techy, new stuff, shiny balls, but also marry that with curiosity to a problem a customer maybe is showing. Maybe they're curious enough to go and talk to help desk and say, what are the five problems that you, most common problems you get called in help desk? Right. We could do that really easily. So that level of curiosity, you clearly careful, you don't want every single employee in the business walking around going, oh, how could we do something new today? How can I break everything? But if you want the people no, who are going to... Because that's my job. job. No, yeah, we, we've had those people. <laughs> They've got to have some constraint, but you are, I would certainly be looking for people yes. who can ask those two questions. Yes, what's shiny and new, but how can I marry it to real customer problems? Have you ever had the situation of, why did all the computers in the network just restart in the middle of the day, followed by a, oh, is that what that option does? <laughs> yes, it's not impressive. <laughs> that, 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 I reckon that was definitely a conversation we used to have in the good old days, yes. when you had mainframes. Yes. The guys who ran mainframes knew they couldn't just do the on-off switch. And then you had a whole next generation who came in and they'd only ever worked on PCs. So they got told, oh, if your computer's not working, don't worry, just turn it on and off. It's the old classic reboot solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys then got promoted and ended up working on the mainframes. And then they're going, oh yeah, just turn it on and off. No! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> possibly a little curiosity there would have been a little bit less useful. It gets very quiet in a data centre when the mainframe's off, I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> and the lights go out. Yes. yes. Okay. So, cool. So, so, so my view is, is hiring dev stuff, same thing, right? You're looking for yeah, intellectual curiosity. You're looking for people who have the base skills but are willing to learn and willing to change. Your biggest thing is the development environment. Yeah, at least we the one we're working in at the moment changes so regularly it's not funny. We, we're currently in .NET 6 and I did a talk about this just a couple of days ago. Um, the previews come out every month. Every month there's a ton of breaking changes and you have to update all of your code. And you think, well that's fine, that's preview, but in three months time there'll be a go live license and our customers are going to be saying, I want to be on .NET 6 now. Yeah. So you've got to keep what is not really bleeding edge anymore, but absolutely leading edge with those sorts of things. So curiosity and agility is important. And when we talk about business owners, I remember sitting on stage with Stephen 10 years ago. The Alzibab. Yes, <laughs> talking to MSPs going, the cloud's a really big thing, it's gonna happen. And people hated us in that, in that talk because they didn't want to change from selling servers and making the money and doing all the things they were doing. Great. Now I know that some of those organizations don't exist anymore because they didn't adopt the change. The ones that did 
are existing and thriving. So we were right, nay, nay. Well, the thing that I, again, we used to say this, the thing that shocked me the most with these guys, it's like you go, so how did you start in business? Oh, well, you know how it used to be really complicated to get multiple servers to work together and exchange on one, yes. SQL on yeah, the other, yeah, yeah. black art, and then this thing called small business server came along, absolutely fantastic. We absolutely creamed all of these old fuddy-duddy types and we set up our new business model. Sorry, can you not see the irony here? <laughs> you created your whole business on a fundamental change in the way the business IT world worked. There's this new thing called the cloud where yes. all of the servers are up there and you don't have to install them because it's now easier. And you're going, oh no, but complexity is good for me. It's so, like, oh. Yes. When we find small business service, so now I know it's your fault. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's luckily not Stephen. So anyway, that's been the wind down. Thank I, I do oh, have one Scott, thing. I do have one thing. You just, just, one to, thing. just to finish oh, up. Just go on. Something related to our topic. Um, Sinosilicophobic is the fear of an empty glass. Fear of an empty glass. <laughs> no, no problem here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but I am driving. So, so thank you so much for listening to or watching The Wind Down on Facebook or YouTube. If you do like what you see in here, leave a like, subscribe, and leave a comment letting us know what types of things you think we should talk about. But from all of us here at the Newport Arms, from Scott, Stephen, and myself, have a fantastic week. Thanks so much. See you later. Bye. Bye.